you're doing the bow, you gotta, if you're less important than the person you're bowing to, you have to go lower. That's the rule. So, all right, you guys can have a seat. We're gonna do things a little bit differently this morning because we have baptism, we have a baptism. We're gonna do a message primarily, not exclusively about baptism, but um, so we're gonna do that up front and then immediately following that will be the baptism and then we will respond to God in, uh, with the worship set and with song and that kind of thing. We, we, we kind of adjusted the preaching schedule because we had what looked like several baptisms scheduled. Uh, so we decided to wait and finish up the judges um, series till next week and, and insert a baptism message. And then because of scheduling things, uh, we ended up with one baptism, which is awesome. Uh, but the first service, we had to do some adjustments. But uh, before we get to it, though, I have a couple of, couple of things to let you know. Number one, this is irrelevant, but I just found it interesting. A couple of weeks ago, Lynn and I, we had a, some hail damage on our roof and we had an insurance check to cover that. And we had to go to the bank because it had her name, my name, and the bank's name on it because they hold our mortgage. And uh, we went in with masks on, and it was righteous. When do you go into a bank with a mask? Anyway, I just found it weird. Um, uh, the other thing, we're, we're trying our best to, we're thankful that the executive order from this week made an exemption for houses of worship. We're very thankful for that. We also know that that does not alleviate us from our responsibility to the community as a whole. And regardless of whether you think we need to be masked up and um, this thing is crazy, or if you think like, hey, this is, life is life, it, things happen. Whatever, wherever you land on that spectrum, what we're hoping is that we want to draw people to the church. We don't want to draw people at the church. So when you walk out, if you would just make room for people as you walk out the door so that folks that feel, people can, that are they're a little bit more concerned than maybe you, uh, when they walk out, they don't have to feel like you're, they don't have to worry that your spittle is still aerosolized. <laughs> Things we never thought we would talk about, Right? Um, and one other thing, we had a COVID, we had a couple of COVID scares this week within the church. Many of you probably heard that our high school mission trip that went up to uh, Boyne City to help a camp, uh, I think, do a handicap accessible uh, trail. Um, they got up and as per the protocol of the camp, they took everyone's temperature when they got there. They were going to take it every morning and every evening. And one of the students that was with us uh, had a temperature of 1029. And uh-oh, so uh, now it happened to be that she had a bee sting and it's unusual, but sometimes the response to the venom of a bee sting, your body creates a fever to fight off the poison. Um, so, but her dad came up and got her, took her home. Mom's in the medical community. They were gonna get a test the next morning. The camp said we could wait till the next morning if we got a quick result. And it was negative that they could stay, but it was gonna be 12 to 48 hours for the, for, the, for the test to come back. So we, out of abundance of caution, asked the high school group to come back. They self-isolated. We scoured everything that that young lady may have touched um, when she was leaving. Uh, we brought them back on Tuesday. We got results on Wednesday morning. It was all negative. We're all good to go, but you may have heard and not, not heard the verdict on that. The other thing is Pastor Kurt, uh, someone in his neighborhood family went off, they got tested and they've had some interactions with their kids, uh, with, with the Henry kids. Um, and uh, we just got results back yesterday uh, that, that that's negative as well. So um, it's out there. There's People are kind of ramping up and there's some, there's some fear and it's a, it's, it's a legitimate virus. Uh, but in case you were wondering what our response was, um, 
when we, were, when we suspected it, we asked all of our staff, all the leaders to social, social distance and self-isolate. We scoured everything. And we got the negative. We're all, we're, we're very happy for that. So um, because people start talking out there, we wanted to make sure that you knew that all the tests with the two scares, they all came back negative, whole families, all good. With that said, uh, I'm gonna offer a prayer. We're gonna step into this message. Um, those of you joining us on, online and those of you who are here from, different, from a different church background, if, for example, if, if, if your church does uh, for children, church always thinks that we need to do something with our children. Uh, some traditions uh, dedicate their children, others... Um, baptize their children, and some believe in believer-only baptism. We're going to talk about that. I hope that you know that my intent is, um, is to communicate what we in this church, in the Reformed traditions, what we believe. I might not have as full an understanding of what your church or your tradition may practice, but I'm going to do my best to honor all of those uh, different perspectives. Uh, if, if I say something just wrong about what your church does, please forgive me in advance. That is not my intent. I just want us to all have our eyebrows up and go, there's something glorious happening here, scripturally speaking, and there's something glorious, ha glorious that happens when a, a, a new believer is baptized as well. So I'm going to try my best to communicate it clearly, but also to let you know what, what we're doing in a few minutes instead of what others say we're doing in a few minutes. And we're going we're gonna to look at scripture. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, you're God and we're not, and we're so thankful for that. Um, you know that we're, we're in 1 John 4. You picked this. And Lord, I ask that you stand in my shoes, that you speak with my mouth, and that you give me your thoughts so that this is not my message for them, it's your message for us. And give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts to receive what you want us to receive. Lord, if there's something I plan to say that you don't want to say, it, I don't want to say it. So convict me of it, and, 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 but make it so I don't, it doesn't come out of my mouth. But Lord, if there's something you want said that I haven't thought of, I want to speak it. So make it abundantly clear as from you, and I will speak your word to your people today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit who lives within us for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, the beloved disciple, John, um, that's what he calls himself. And, I, and I, we, we went through the, the gospel according to John from Epiphany right after New Year's through Easter this year. And, and something that occurred to me, because it always bugged me a little bit that John called himself the one Jesus loved, the one Jesus loved, the one Jesus loved, the one Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, the one Jesus loved. It's like, come on, dude. You know, he loved them all. And, and then it, he never names himself in his gospel. And it, over time, it started building in me that, that the reason he does it is so that you and I will see ourselves as the one Jesus loves, that I am the beloved disciple. I am the, 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 the son that he loves. You are the son or the daughter that he loves. We are the beloved. And that's why sometimes you hear in a church that someone stands up and says, beloved in Christ. I think we, let me put that in a different way. I think I kind of poo-pooed that. And I think that John isn't trying to communicate about God's love so that it's sappy. He's trying to communicate about love because it's God. In fact, John speaks about love and God loving and God being love more than any 
other writer in the New Testament, probably any other writer in all of Scripture. And I find it curious that even in, in you've got the Gospel of John, and then you have 1, 2, and 3 John, his, his letters. Um, you might call them epistles, but um, he, he speaks about God and love, God and love, God and love, God and love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want, I, want to, I want to give you one thing to consider before we go into the passage. It is really easy in our culture, and in, in, a, in a culture of permissiveness, it is very easy for us to hear God is love and assume that love is God. It's not the same because you wouldn't say God is justice, justice is God. You wouldn't say God is mercy, mercy is God. So why is it that sometimes the way we behave or the way we think, God is love, therefore love is God, it's not. And here's the thing, we, when we think of love, I think of it, not all of us, but in, in our culture, it's, a, it's about passions and desires and hopes and dreams. When, when Lynn and I first started dating and we, we were away from each other for a while, like two hours, um, when, when I would see her again, she calls it boy stomach. Like when, when girls, when you first have a, a crush on a, on, on, on a guy and, and he walks down the hall and you didn't expect to see him and all of a sudden you get that little... <laughs> She, I would have girl stomach. I would see her and it would just, oh, I couldn't wait to be with her and I missed her so much. Same thing now. We've been married 30 years, same thing. Sometimes we take that desire. The, the scripture has several different words, Greek words that we translate as love. And so sometimes we think God is love, love is God, but the love that we're talking about isn't the parental love. It isn't the covenant love. It's not the love that corrects. It's not the love that that. That will, that will sacrifice so that someone else gets what's best for them. See, if God is love and God only does what is best for us, whether it's what we want for ourselves or not, then we have to rethink what we mean when we say God is love. Scripture is wonderful when it talks about God's love and care and his desire and his heart for us. And we're gonna read that right now, but keep in mind, love is God. God is love, but love is not necessarily God. It reads like this, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And I'm gonna jump down. It's not on the screen, just one more verse. We love because he first loved us us. Now, we're going to talk about baptism. And theologians call baptizing a child pedo-baptism. And then other traditions believe in what, they, what theologians call believer-baptism. 
Now, some on the believer baptism side will say baptism of someone who has confessed and professed their faith in Christ only and only by immersion, all the way under. In fact, that's what the word baptism means. It comes from, from wood, like from a sunken ship that was all the way under the water and had been down there for years and you pull it up. Every molecule, every piece of that wood has been soaked and saturated with wood. Or, with water. I understand this. In fact, I read from a church this week that said that if you were baptized as a child, and you want to be rebaptized, you should, because don't you want to be baptized like Jesus was? That's kind of cool. I like that. John the baptizer baptized Jesus, but was Jesus a new believer? That's a stretch. If he's the Messiah, if he's a follower, or if, if we're a follower of him, the Messiah who lived a perfect life and that was, that was born miraculously, he was conceived miraculously and born of a virgin and, and walked and talked and never, never sinned, Jesus is what we believe in. He is who we believe in. He's not, he didn't become a believer and make a profession of faith and then receive his baptism, but he was submerged, at least as far as we know. Folks that would argue, and I, and, and I get it. In fact, we baptize believers if they've never been baptized before. But if you are a follower of God and you've never been baptized and you choose to make your confession and profession of faith and receive the sacrament of baptism, awesome. If you're a child and you don't know what's going on, although it seems to be a thinker, you don't know what's going on. People would say, well, then... Then, then how? What? Well, let me, let me just talk about it for a second. There's something beautiful about the fact that Scripture tells us that this is how we know what love is, that God loved us first, not that we first loved him. I think there's something glorious about a child receiving a sacrament, which we'll talk about in a moment, from God without having any knowledge whatsoever of what it means. See, a sacrament... We have two in our tradition. The Catholic Church has seven. Um, most Protestant or non-denominational churches, non-Catholic churches have two. They're ordinances, things that God ordained for us to do, that Christ ordained himself. He said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he said at the, at the Lord's Supper, at the, at the Last Supper, he says, whenever you gather, eat and drink my body and my blood. Do this and remember me. Remember who I am, what I've done, what I'm doing, and who you are, whose you are. So it's, it's, a, it's remember what he did, remember what he's doing, and remember what he's gonna do. So he told us these two things, these two sacraments, these two things that we're supposed to keep doing to remember and to know who God is and whose we are. Now, here's the thing. When, when we're doing it to remember, we're remembering something that's already done. And we're remembering something that God continues to do, okay? So when we baptize a child, can it be said that we as the people are remembering what God has done, what God is doing, and what he promised to do? So when we make vows to the family, we're saying we'll do whatever we can to, 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 to grow this child up, to know who this child is and whose this child is. God makes promises, which he's already made. There's not a Christian in the world that I, at least that I don't, that I believe that, that, that would argue that, 
that God hasn't done everything necessary for us to receive the salvation that he's provided for us in advance. It's already done 2,000 years ago, right here. How do, this is love. Not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us and he gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All done. It's all done. Baptism is a sign and a seal and a symbol. And sometimes from up front, we, we make a mistake and we say, it's just a symbol. It's just a symbol. What we're trying to say is, it's not a get out of hell free card. It's not salvific. It doesn't, it doesn't change the eternal address of the child. But we, when we say it's just, we make that mistake because we're trying to say it's not salvific. But when we say it's just, it diminishes the strength and the beauty of it. Here's an example. $19. Amazon. I lost my last, I've lost two. First one was cast out of eight, in, in 1890 out of a $20 gold piece. It belonged to my great, great-grandfather, my grandfather, and then it was gifted to me and I lost it on our honeymoon. Some sea lion ate it, I'm pretty sure. That was back before we had digital cameras. We actually had Kodak Instamatics. And we have one picture of me feeding sea lions with the ring and one later on without it. We went back to SeaWorld the next day, looked for it, couldn't find it. I felt horrible because my grandma had gifted it to me. Okay, so I've already got this guilt thing going on that I lost a wedding ring, a symbol of the covenant that Lynn and I have with one another in the sight of God and witnesses. So September 11, 2018, I was invited to go play golf at Wuskawan. I don't know if you know where that place is. It's a beautiful course. It's a players only course. It's a gorgeous course. And I was invited to go play with a friend who just died last week, Jay Lindell and another guy. And he said, hey, you wanna play golf with me and Jay on September 11th? Sure, we're gonna be at West One. Awesome. Oh yeah, by the way, it's gonna cost you 500 bucks. Fundraiser. I got a shirt. So here I am after I just lost a bunch of weight. And so my ring was a little bit a little bit uh, loose, and I was in the, in, the, in the men's locker room at Westquan, and I'm, I'm washing my hands, and I did this. Ting, 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 ting. My ring goes flying across. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to this golf course, a beautiful golf course, but you gotta take your hat off when you walk in, uh, and you gotta be dressed this way. You gotta have a collar, shoes, no sandals, all that kind of stuff. I'm crawling around on the men's locker room floor looking for my wedding ring. Never found it. On the way home, God does not speak to me audibly. Some people hear it very specifically. On the way home, I'm sick to my stomach. Like, I, I, what kind of a man loses two wedding rings? Sorry, if you've, got, if you've got a stack in your drawer of 15 of these $19 ones, cool on you. Um, I hated the fact that I lost it. I'm driving back and I'm, I'm pretty near where Chris Peters lives, down 104th Street. I'm driving down and, and it just had this sense in my head. Just because the symbol of the covenant is lost, it's not visible, you don't see it, doesn't mean that the covenant isn't still in effect. A symbol means much. But if the symbol's gone, it doesn't mean that she and I aren't married anymore. A symbol means much. But if you, in your church tradition, or even here, if you say, this is not the symbol of grace that we want for our child, okay. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love your child. He does. This is $19. I don't even know what metal it is. But what it symbolizes is way greater than what, it, what the value of the material is. 
See, sometimes when I sit with couples that are looking to start premarital counseling, one of the questions I will ask them goes something like this. And look, I'm not naive. I do not believe that, that every marriage, that, that there aren't marriages that get so far gone that they're, that they're, not, that they're reconcilable. Some, some are irreconcilable. I understand that. My, I grew up in a, in a broken home. I get it. But I, I want you to know that when we sit with couples and if they're going to be married in the sight of God and witnesses, then, then we ask them a question like, do you think that if you get married that there's a way out? Because if you do, you might be with the wrong pastor. You might be at the wrong spot because I promise to love and honor you and to share with you all that is to come for better, for worse, for richer, poor, and sickness and health through laughter and tears. I will be faithful to you as long as my life shall last. That's a... That's a covenant. And whether I wear a ring or not, it, it still means that I am not my own, but I belong body and person to my wife. And she is mine and I am hers. We belong to another. That's what covenant means. So when Christ through water and us making promises, when he says, I, I baptize, when we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what it's saying is God is doing what God has done since Genesis 15. God is saying, I am your God. You and you particularly are my people, my person. I choose you. You're mine, and I will do everything necessary to make sure you grow up and know that, that the grace of God, that the atoning sacrifice for your sins is for you. When this child is baptized, is this child automatically going to heaven? Nope. One of the things we do, hold on, let me make sure I do all this right with all this stuff going around. We get this little box. Actually, the guy who makes it is artwork. This is beautiful. Engraved, name, all that, date. We get this box. It's a symbol of the symbol. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes at Christmas time, when stuff, little presents get put under the tree, they get put under the tree, and when the kids go snooping or whatever and they start moving around, sometimes one of those little ones gets pushed up under the couch. Now, if one of those gifts that someone has paid for, wrapped up and presented to you under the tree, gets kicked under the couch and you don't find it till July, was it paid for? Was it given? Has it been received? No, it's not received until you open it for yourself. This box is just a, a sign. See, I just did it. Just a, it's a symbol of the symbol that's gonna be experienced today. Our hope is that one day, whoever has received the sacrament of baptism will break the seal and receive for themselves the gift paid for 2,000 years ago and offered in the sacrament of baptism. It's a beautiful thing. And the reason we do a physical symbol of that, it goes back to Joshua chapter four, when Joshua and the, they're coming out of Egypt and they're going into the promised land, they come to the river Jordan and it's at flood stage. And God says, have them take the ark, the priest and walk into it. And he stopped the river and they all walked across. And then he said, take one person from every tribe and stand up a bunch of stones and make a monument here so that when your children ask, what are these stones for? You tell them what I did. This box is for that same purpose. When your child asks, what is this box for? You tell them. 
tell, and folks, if you've got a box at home or if you need one made, we'll, we'll work that out. But so that when your children ask, what's that box? It means that God loves you, that God has sacrificed for you, that God has called you to be his own. And one day when you're at the right time and for such a time as this, you will receive for yourself the offer of grace, the gift of grace that God has given. Now, a couple of things. Sacrament, baptism, communion. The word sacrament comes from a Latin word, sacramentum. Sacramentum comes from commanding officers and soldiers. Here's something really cool that you might not know. The sacrament that, that commanding officers make to soldiers is this. The soldier would say to the commanding officer, or the soldiers, the commanding officer would say to the soldiers, I will not give an order that isn't for whatever we represent. Let's just say a kingdom that isn't for the kingdom and isn't just and lawful. And the soldiers make a vow that no matter what the order is, no matter how bad it might get, even if it costs me my life, because we trust that you will not give one that is not just and lawful, we will obey every order you give. Why does the church choose to use the idea of sacrament that has that kind of a vow involved? Because God is our God. He is our king and he gives the orders. He says, I will do whatever is best for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I'm, not, I'm gonna give you a hope and a future, and, but sometimes it's not gonna feel like it, much like like our world today. But God, through sacrament, says, I will be your God, you will be my people. And we say, we will be your people even when it doesn't feel like you're being our God. That's what God has been doing since Genesis chapter 15, since the very first covenant with Abram. He says to them, he says to Abram, if I don't keep the commitment, the covenant that I've just made with you, you can spill my blood and stomp in it. And then he says to Abram, Abram, if you or any of your descendants are unfaithful to the covenant that I've just made with you, you can spill my blood and dance in it. So God says, I'm responsible for the covenant I've made with you and I'm responsible for the covenant you made with me. That's what it means that he made an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that's the difference between a covenant and a contract. So baptism represents covenant, sacrament, and grace. How many of you here own a house? How many of you own the house? How many of you own the house with the bank? Okay, when you signed all those papers, remember that? You ever forget how to sign your name and you're in the middle of it? Like, what? where am I? Here's basically what our, our first realtor, first house we bought, here's what the realtor said. I said, what do all these things mean? She goes, well, you can sit and read them. It'll take you hours. But if you pay, you stay. If you don't, you won't, right? That's a contract. So if I stop paying, the mortgage company can come, kick me out and take my house. Now, sometimes they take longer than they probably should. Some people would be grateful for that, others not. Other, there's other things that I contract with. I, we had a new roof put on and I, I, I hired a roofing company, a contractor, and they're supposed to put a roof up and then I pay them. If they don't put a roof on, I'm not paying them, right? It, there's this, this, um, this mutually beneficial partnership that you would find in a contract. And if you break the contract, there's penalties for it. Covenant is not that. Covenant is, even if you break your side of the covenant, the covenant still stands. Even if the evidence, the sign or the symbol of the covenant is gone, the covenant is still intact. And God is the covenant maker. And he says to you, he says to me, even when you're not faithful, I'm your God. Even when you're not faithful, you're my people. That is glorious. 
We just read last week in Judges that God, the people cried out to God again and he lists out all the gods that they had bent their knee to and bent their will to. And what does he say? Do you remember? We'll get there in a minute, I promise. We're almost there, almost there. Then you get this blessing we're talking about. You remember what God said when they said, oh, help us because they're eating all our food and they're taking all our stuff. He says, you know what? You bent your knee to all those other gods. Let them save you. What if, what if the story ended there? What if we found out that the God of the universe has a patience that once it's crossed, we're all going to hell? What if God were a God who said, you know what? You're not good enough for me. You're done. What? But God is love. And God goes so far to make sure that we understand that all he asks in return is out of gratitude in our hearts to God to respond to him and say, yes, Lord. See, the enemy of God wants to force his will upon us and he does not act as if we have free will and he wants us to have to clear ourselves through him. But God says, here is my will for you. This is my desire for you. I hope that you want it as much as I want it for you. There are things that come natural to you and they will harm you, but there are things that come unnatural to you, but natural to me. And if you step in my way, it will go well for you. And he asks us to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And he's been saying it for all of history. And even no matter how many times you mess up, how many times you walk away, how many times you flip God off, when you come back, he says, welcome home. It is glorious. Our God, the God, is a God that loves us first. And baptism of an infant and baptism as an adult says the same thing. It's not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. And so whether you know what's happening, excuse me, whether you know what's happening or don't know what's happening, the sign, the seal, and the symbol is the same. God takes his promise, his letter. He folds it up and it's the, it's the, it's the covenant with you that says, this one's mine. And he, he folds it up and he drips wax on it. And then he takes the sign on his ring and he puts it in there. No one can open that seal except for God himself. And he says, this one belongs to me. You belong to him, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Sacraments tell us that. Covenant tells us that. And scripture tells us that. So I'm gonna ask you to think about one thing. When this child receives the sacrament of baptism, because we, we ask the question, do you believe that your child, though sinful in nature, is received by, Christ, by God in Christ as a member of covenant and therefore ought to receive the sacrament of baptism? Every one of us, sinful by nature. And God did not leave us in our sin, but sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. What does that mean? It just means this. He knew that you can't make you right with God. So he chose to make you right with God on your behalf. I'm your God, you're my people, says Christ. And when you can't be my people, I will do what it takes to make you my people. And you know what that word is? Grace. 
God's riches at Christ's expense, not yours. It's getting what you do not deserve. Christianity is not fair at all, because if it were fair, you and I and this child would get what we deserve. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you don't get what you deserve. In fact, Jesus takes his perfection, his faithfulness, his sign, seal, and covenant that you have. That he, he takes his and he puts it on you. Theologians call it imputed righteousness. It's not your goodness. It's his goodness that gets put on you, in you, through you, under you, around you, behind you. So that when you face judgment one day, you meet the Lord, you don't go, look what I did. You go, thank you for what you did. And this is love. Not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. This, this, and communion, and just God having a people as imperfect as we are, tells us time and time and time and time again about the immutable, the incommunicable attribute of God. There are some things that God is like and that he communicates, he gives to us. There are things that, what God, that, that God is like that we can't be. God is wholly other, completely set apart from anything else. But he's also intimate. So he goes from can't be in contact with anyone else, anything else, to right next to you, right with you. In fact, he goes and lives in you. That is not fair, but it is glorious. So when you see that, when you make vows to this child, and whenever you hear the gospel proclaimed, remember, he's chosen you as his own, not because you did anything, but because he did wonderful things. And the last thing is this. If you're watching online or if you're here and you've never received the gift broken the seal and received the gift that God has offered for you. That is salvation, forgiveness of sins, and being made right with God because you can't make yourself right with God. Then today may be a great day, a great day to say in a simple, Lord, you're God, I'm not. And I mess things up. Because I mess things up, I can't be right with you. But you never messed it up and you made it right. So I receive for myself the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins that Jesus gave me. And I ask you to dwell within me. And from this point forward, as far as it depends on me, I will live my life in such a way that other people know who my God is. It's that simple. And it's even more simple than that. I'm a sinner, Lord, save me. That simple. I encourage you. And if you need help doing that, not, not really sure, you need to have more questions, contact any one of us be happy to help. And if you know Jesus and you've never been baptized and you want to be, call us. And if you have a child and after hearing this, you go, you know what? I think that that sign, seal, and symbol would be good for our family right now. Call us. We'll talk it through. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you and we praise you for who you are, not for who we are for what you've done, not for what we've done. And most of all, Lord, we, we revel in the fact that you choose to be in relationship with un, imperfect, unholy people. And you choose to give us an inheritance 
of kings, that you adopt us as your children, that you say, this one is mine. And Lord, as you do that right now in the sacrament of baptism, we pray that it reminds each of us that not what we've done, but what you've done, not that we first loved you, but that you first loved us. Remind us, Lord, whose we are. And that's what makes us who we are. In Jesus' name, through the power of the spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God, our Father, amen.